Ezekiel. Morning and evening. Um, I understand that you may be providentially hindered. Some live far away on Sunday evening. Uh, the messages are available on, on the online on the website. They're posted. The recordings are posted later. And so if you uh, happen to miss one of them, you can tune in uh, there or the live stream. I think the Facebook page keeps them up for a while. You can find them there. And uh, so the last two chapters of Ezekiel, I'm not going to read them, them all. Uh, this is 47 this morning, all 47, and then all 48 tonight. So give your attention to the reading of the Word of God. Chapter 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. And going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. And he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. And again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. And again, he measured a thousand. And it was a river that could not that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows through the eastern region and goes down into the Arab and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the water, wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everyone will live where this river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Engelim. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks and on both sides of the river there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail. They will bear fresh fruit every month because their water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, their leaves for healing. Thus says the Lord, this is the boundary by which you shall divide the land for inheritance among the twelve tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have two portions and you shall divide equally what I swore to you. To give to your fathers this land shall fall to you as your inheritance this shall be the boundary of the land on the north side from the great sea by the way of Hethlon to Labo Hamath and on to Zadah, Barathoth, Sebraim, 
which lies on the border between Damascus and Hamath, as far as Hazer Haidekon, which is on the border of, of Horan. So the boundary will run from the sea to Hazar Enon, which is on the northern border of Damascus, on the border of Hamath to the north. There shall be on the north side, on the east side, the boundary shall run from Haran to Damascus, along the Jordan, between Gilead and the land of Israel, to the eastern sea as far as Tamar. Thus, this shall be the east side. On the south side, it shall run from Tamar, as far as the great waters of Meribah Kadesh, and from there, the brook, along the brook of Egypt to the great sea, this shall be the south side. <clears throat> and on the west side, the great sea shall be the boundary to a point opposite Lebo Hamath. This shall be the west side. So you shall divide the land among you according to the tribes of Israel. You shall allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the sojourners who reside among you and have children among you. They shall be to you as native-born children of Israel. With you they shall be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe the sojourner resides, there you shall assign him his inheritance, declares the Lord God. Father, the grass withers, the flower fades, and falls to the ground, but your word abides forever. Bless this reading of it, this exposition to our understanding. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had the privilege uh, two times of standing on the east side of the hills of Jerusalem below what, uh, uh, below the Temple Mount, where the Temple of um, Solomon and then the Second Temple stood for many years and contemplated how, in a new temple, water would begin flowing down the east side into this river. I've read this passage from Ezekiel for many years and scratched my head every time I read it. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'm still scratching my head. Uh, it's helpful to me. Uh, if uh, I, I like the way Charles Spurgeon put it that one day when the Jews are restored to the land, they might build some kind of building there. <laughs> That's a good way to, to describe uh, what might happen. But it's helpful to me when you look at the expanded dimensions of the temple district and area that are given in Ezekiel that we have gone through that, that, uh, that something like this may be possible. Because as you go through this, there's a very, very detailed geography of how this river will flow and where it will go um, and uh, it's and it is an amazing uh, uh, vision but I believe it's vital for our application to be reminded of the spiritual application of this vision the way we are to understand the Old Testament is clearly given to us in, by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. That we are to understand some historical realities spiritually. And the spiritual reality 
is the literal fulfillment of the scriptures. For example, uh, speaking of the, the uh, children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, how they were baptized into Moses in verse 2 of chapter 10 in the cloud and the sea, how they all ate spiritual food. They ate, they ate manna and quail in the wilderness, but it's called spiritual food. And they drank, they drank from a rock. We know in the Bible it was a literal rock, but here it's called a spiritual rock. And that rock was Christ. It goes on to talk about the disposition of the people of Israel and how with most of them God was not well pleased and how the application, the spiritual application is vital to the spiritual health of the church of Corinth and to our spiritual health. Ezekiel's temple and his vision of the temple that God gave him and that he has given a, a tour of is far beyond anything in history or what we can conceive. The vision is first of all of the temple and flowing from the temple a river. The vision of the river. There are a couple of metaphors that go through the whole Bible. There aren't metaphors, there are realities that go through the Bible. One is a tree, you have a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you have the tree of life. There are two trees in the garden. We know what happened with that tree. Well, at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 2, and then at the end of the Bible, you have another tree. It's a tree of life. In the middle of the Bible, or in the middle of the Gospels, you have the tree of the cross. <laughs> which is the fulfillment of all those trees. It's a spiritual type which results in our salvation. Real, these are real trees, and yet they represent a spiritual reality. And that's what we do with this vision of the river, the, what, is what I intend to do in this message. It is a massive river that Ezekiel records that flows from the temple eastward down to the Dead Sea. In Zechariah, the prophecies and visions of Zechariah in chapter 14, verse uh, 8 and following, we learn that there is another, another river that flows to the west, down to the Great Sea. So there are huge rivers that are flowing. One down to the Dead Sea, doing this incredible work. And then Zechariah tells us in chapter 14 that there's another, another river that's going to flow down to what, what we know of as the Mediterranean. And again, as we look at all the scripture, we look at the end. Just as there's a tree in the beginning tree in the middle of salvation history there is a tree I mean there is a river 
at the beginning, a series of rivers at the beginning in Genesis. There are rivers that are described over and over in the Psalms that we sang about earlier. And there is a river in heaven, chapter 21. Twenty-two, rather. Verse 1. At the very end. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flows to the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves, the trees, are for the healing of the nations. That is the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of Ezekiel's vision. But it has present application for us, as does all of Scripture. first application that I would make from this first point is that the water of the river that flows from the throne of God is a symbol of the Holy Spirit's work in your life individually in the life of the church of this local body of believers in the life of the whole church of the Lord Jesus your uh, exciting things are places where revival is breaking out and that and when the and when the holy spirit is poured out it brings about change it brings about transformation in the lives of god's people and it produces fruit fruitful lives this brings me to my second point the virtue of the river the the vision of the river points to the virtue of the river. Have you seen this? Ezekiel's guide says, have you seen this? He led him to the bank of the river and he showed them. the water, Wherever the water flows from the temple, it produces life. And it produces a, a, uh, an ever-increasing uh, stream. A thousand cubits wide, and at first it's just shallow depth, and then it goes knee deep, and then it then it goes to the point where you have to swim in it. And it's you apply that in many different ways, but one of the ways you can apply it is through uh, the doctrine of sanctification, how how we are made righteous all at once by the Spirit of God, changing our heart. And then we begin to grow. We see how wide God's mercy is and how big it is. But then we begin to see how deep it is. Some, some people never get out of the shallows. But some people keep, keep working on their relationship with God through the word, through the ordinary means of grace. And they begin, they, they get so deep in, in faith and trust in the Lord that they just swim in it. That's, a, I think, a wonderful application of this text from Charles Spurgeon. That's the way he saw it. And he pointed to an example of that. He pointed to George Mueller. And he said that Mr. Mueller 
swims in faith. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The water flows down from Mount Zion and flows from the east in this passage and it goes down and, and then turns into this wide river that ever deepens. And all of a sudden there are, are fishermen on the banks of the Dead Sea that Engedi is on the on the bank of the Dead Sea and there are fishermen in these other places. There are places where the river doesn't touch, it remains salty. These are these are um, this is an incredible vision. It's important to apply them spiritually. What is, what is the righteous life, according to Psalm 1? He's like a tree. Where is that tree planted? By the water. Why? Because it's planted by the water. It bears fruit. Jeremiah 17, in the midst of this devastation, the same devastation that Ezekiel uh, preaches on, he says the same thing. The righteous is like a tree. Planted and, and when the heat comes, he he doesn't fear, he doesn't wither, he doesn't he isn't blown away by the circumstances of life because he's planted in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's the picture of fish, this uh, incredible fishery. It becomes this incredible fishery. I, I like to fish a little bit. I always think of when I read passages uh, that deal with fishing in the Bible, think of Dr. the late Dr. D. James Kennedy. He said he didn't, even though he lived in Florida, he didn't like to fish. He'd rather fish for men. He says, because when God catches a man, he cleans him. <laughs> Our Lord Jesus was he, took, he picked fishermen to be his apostles and disciples. There are no fish, Lord. Well, cast your net on the other side. They would look at him like he was crazy, and they would, and they would reap in the abundant harvest. We've fished all night, Lord, and we've caught nothing. But because you tell us to cast our net again, we'll do it. <coughs> picture of the abundance that Jesus provides his servants. This, is, this same picture is the way we should spiritually apply whatever other historical fulfillment they're going to have. We know they had this fulfillment in Christ. It is the river of the Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke about. And the virtue the virtue of, the, of this river is that it produces fruit, spiritual fruit. The New Testament speaks about that constantly, no, no more clearly than in Galatians 5, verse 22, what the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. 
Those are the virtues. Those are the Christian virtues that the river, this river is to produce, the river of the Holy Spirit is to produce in the believer's life. Again, it's a vast river. The vastness, uh, uh, rather, we, we switch from the vastness of the river to the vastness of the borders of Israel. The, in verses 13 through 21 of this text, you see the the, the the boundaries of Israel never came to this point. The closest they ever came was before the Civil War, uh, after Solomon's death. But Solomon's kingdom almost reached these borders that are described in Ezekiel. The other time that it came close uh, is during the period of the Maccabees, frankly. But even then, it didn't come quite to this point. So this is something that uh, makes people scratch their head when looking at these borders. They're different from the borders that are, that are described uh, in Joshua. These are, these are what the borders you're going to have, and this is, this is the conquest, and this is what you're to have. It's a vast uh, area, uh, much larger than the present borders of the state of Israel. It's 280 miles long if you if you measure these borders by 150 miles wide. And and note that all ten all 12 tribes of Israel are to have a portion of the land. Even the two half tribes from Joseph's line are to have the same portion, the exact same uh, dimensions. Uh, Gone uh, if you follow this and you, there are maps of this, so you can look them up. Each one is to have the same measure of the land. I'll say this about the tribes being restored. It, 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 it'll be, it would be miraculous. Because all temple records of, ta of tribes were destroyed remaining ones, most of them were destroyed in the first temple destruction, the rest of them were destroyed in AD 70 in the burning of the temple. So it's speculation of who's from which tribe. Uh, who knows? God knows. I, I think of this often when I stand at the graveside. I think, how, how in the world is, is the Lord going to raise that body up? It's been there for so many years, but he is. And how is he going to sort out all those who have been lost at sea and been lost? He's going to sort it out. God who created the world out of nothing in the space of uh, six days, he can sort it out. I don't have to worry about that. But our minds go to, to those kind of things. And the, and the truth is, uh, we don't know. And I can't tell you how this how this would occur or how this would happen. But I do know this. God will keep a people for himself. And he will save his people, Israel, for himself. And he will do it in such a way to bring himself the most honor and glory because he is God. And he who began that work will complete it in his people.
And what matters, what we should think about, is how vast the numbers are. And again, Revelation gives us a really good understanding of this. Not a complete understanding. If you read Revelation chapter 7, you'll note that all the tribes of Israel are, are sealed. They're, they are, at the end of the age, they're sealed. And it's an exact number from every tribe, 12,000. And then all kinds of speculation about the symbolism of those numbers. And I'm not going to get into that this morning. But what I am going to point you to is what happens after the, the, the uh, people of Israel are sealed. Verse 9. Look at what follows immediately. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the land, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's intent for the borders of heaven is that they would be vast and that they would be expansive and that they would include not only the physical lineage of Israel, note in Ezekiel, it includes the sojourner, the stranger. And so the book of Revelation, John the Apostle, the revelation given to him shows this biblical order, the Jew first and also the Greek. And the, the, the combined, uh, the numbers are numbers of perfection. The number 12 uh, uh, is, 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 is a, a symbol of the perfection of the complete number of his people, followed by a vast number in the world that can't be numbered. And here we are on the eve of our missions conference. We get to participate in God's plan. I, I think, I hope you, you see faith promise cards in front of you already. Uh, and if not, we'll, we'll have that rectified soon and you can ask for one. We have some available. We ask every, uh, you know, we don't, we don't raise money for the general budget. We don't, you know, we don't do anything. But we do encourage you to give sacrificially faith promise for missions. Mostly foreign missions. Some we support some local missions. Um, I'm not sure if we do any for faith promise. Do we local missions? Do we? I'm not sure. Matt. Matt Lee will, will straighten me out on this <laughs> later. Because of this biblical emphasis that we get to participate in through, through what Christ has done for us and through the Holy Spirit's work in us, we want to see a vast number.
come to faith. And we want to see it in every tongue and tribe and nation because this is the heart of God. And worship inevitably leads to missions. And the purpose of missions is worship because that is the ultimate fulfillment of the plan of God forever. Sometimes we put the cart before the horse. And finally, we see the value of this inheritance. Again, it's, it's for the restoration of the Jews to their land. I don't think there's any doubt that that's a part of the application here. I just quote a little bit of the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, this wonderful book that was written in 18, published in 1830. 1830, and it's a marvelous tool. If you don't have it, you should get it. Um, it says this about this passage. Um, it plainly intimates the calling, the, the restoration of the Jews to the land. And it also plainly intimates the calling of the Gentiles into the church in their joint inheritance. It is a vast land. It's full of the people of God. Again, those 12 tribes and the representatives of it will be gathered together. And there won't be any immigration problems. You know, if you're, the only way you can immigrate to Israel is if you have some kind of Jewish lineage. Here, those immigration rules are set aside. The sojourner has the full rights of a citizen. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in Romans 10, verse 12. He says, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul talks about the barrier wall that, is between, that existed between the Jews and the Gentile how in Christ is completely broken down. That God has reconciled the two that were totally separate. In Christ our Lord. The value of our inheritance is not merely real estate in the Middle East. It's much more than that. It's a spiritual inheritance that is imperishable, that no one can take away. And the possession of it is the right of everyone who has submitted their life to Christ, the Messiah, the King of Kings, in the Lord of Lords. Are you a member 
Commonwealth of Israel. Not, not, the, not the political entity in the land in the Middle East, but the Israel of God, which is the Church of Jesus Christ, the Jerusalem above, which is free. Are, we, are you his child? Some of us wonder if we've got Jewish blood running in us, and uh, no one will ever sort that out. <laughs> Except God himself. And how does he do it? He does it by sending his son, his perfect son, into the world. That's why we sing with great zeal the songs. I don't know if you noticed that since we started singing the psalms, how they just sound like the gospel. You know why? Because they are the gospel. Because the same God who, who appeared in flesh among us, the person of the Lord Jesus wrote them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through his servant David, who was his type. That's why they're so powerful and so applicable to all life. Do you have your birthright in the eternal city of Jerusalem? Hebrews eleven sixteen. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. At the end of the Bible, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the temple more tonight. Um, and, and we'll talk more about the portions of, of the tribes tonight what that looks like. But at the end of the Bible, we move from this expansive temple described in heaven to the very end where there is no temple. Because the Lord is the temple. He is the light. The reason there's no temple in heaven because the Lord is the temple. Jesus said, I'm the temple. What matters ultimately is, is not if you can discern every detail of the book of Ezekiel and how it applies. And if you can, please, please come see me. that you were united to Christ forever. Because the alternative is to be outside of Christ forever. In eternal judgment. <coughs> However long your life is, or however short it may be, 
the only thing that matters is, is your faith and trust in Christ and Him alone. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. <clears throat> the main things are so incredibly clear. There are things here that are, that are very difficult for me and many of us who read them. But the application should be plain. That is, Christ is the source of living water. That, that he has gone to heaven to prepare a place for his people. And in his house are many, many mansions, many rooms, he said in John. That where he is, there we, we will be also. Whether one is a Jew or a Greek is of no significance. All that matters is that we are in Christ. Father, if anyone here is yet to repent of their sin, acknowledge their sin, and turn and put their full faith and trust in Christ, we pray by the Holy Spirit that we do so now and for all eternity. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.